I had bloodshot eyes in the restroom. I just went real quick from uh, just crying during worship. Oh, it was just the precious uh, presence of the Lord here. So good. Are right, you guys ready to have some, some more fun this morning? Yeah, so we're in a series called How to Know the Will of God, and we are on part two. And so part one is really, really simple uh, for knowing God's will. It's Christ is the key, Christ within you, Christ expressing himself through you. So we saw that the will of God is not some mysterious tightrope that you've got to walk, and if you just get off this way, the will of God is Christ in you expressing himself in whatever situation you find yourself in. So you don't have to wait for some day when you're in the will of God. Christ in you expressing his life, whether you're a plumber walking up to a bad sewage situation or you're a teacher walking into math class, or whatever you might be doing, Christ in you is the will of God for you in that moment. Are we doing good? We also found out that there's no green lights in the kingdom of God, only red lights. And so if you're not getting a red light, it means it's green. Go for it. Okay. I'm not getting a red light even though you're silent, so I'm going to keep going here. So, All right, let's look at part two here, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 3 from the English Standard Version. And, and just, uh, just to kind of set it up, Paul has just laid out the most articulate plan of salvation in, in chapters 1 through 11. And so he talked about the, the, the fall of man, the sinfulness of man, uh, how, you know, how the Jews had it presented to them. The old man is dead. God's plan for Israel. Uh, chapter 8, the Holy Spirit coming in and making all things new. All sorts of just wonderful truths. And he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. What's the, why, what's the, why, what's the therefore? I appeal to you in light of all this salvation that God's done for you. I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that the testing you may discern what is, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Some of you, some of you already think you know what I'm going to preach on, don't you? I think I'm going to preach on the renewing of your mind, and I'm not. So, ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I got a, got a couple of you there, all right? So it's interesting that um, it's important when knowing the will of God, when discerning the will of God, another translation says proving the will of God. In other words, knowing how God's will perfectly fits you is specifically linked, first of all, with the presenting of our bodies, then the renewing of our minds. A silent hush falls over the crowd. I don't know about you, I would think that renewing the mind was the first place to start. When it comes to God's will, I would think, well, man, i got to really get my mind renewed. But the Bible says the place to start is with your body. It's amazing how many times the Bible mentions your body in relationship to the will of God. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 5, I'm sorry, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. This is God speaking to Jeremiah. He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. It says, before Jeremiah was born, while he was still an unformed baby in the womb, God was making him, he was marking him out for a certain path of life. You might think, well, that's Jeremiah. He was special. Well, we're going to find out that God's no respecter of persons. And every single person in here, when you're in your mother's womb, God marks you out and put things inside of you that are unique that actually mark out your calling. How are we doing? So I'm having a little bit of trouble right now. So um, I accidentally bolded everything in this message. Uh, on my notes, so usually like bold stuff you want to make sure you don't forget. So I'm a little thrown off. Everything is bolded <clears throat> right now. So I'm like, uh, maybe I'll just sit here and just read it to you. I don't know here. So everything's important today. <clears throat> no falling asleep. Other weeks, you can fall asleep during some things, but not today. So I want you guys to see, though, <clears throat> as we're, as we're kind of just in this intro, <clears throat> every person while you were still in the womb, God was marking out the course of your life. 
You may think, well, you don't know the circumstances I was born under. I want you to hear this. It doesn't matter what the circumstances you were born under, whether you think you were planned or whether you were unplanned, God was involved knitting you into the womb, putting things into you that are going to mark out your life. Here's another verse that speaks of this in uh, Galatians chapter 115. Paul speaking of what God said to him. But when he who had set me apart before I was born. Man, it still worked in the New Testament too. Paul's reiterating what Jeremiah said. Even in the womb there was this setting apart process. Now Psalm 139 really gets into this in a, in a poetical way. David wrote this. Psalm 139, I'm going to read in verse 13. David is speaking of what the Lord did. For you formed my inward parts. Listen to this poetic language. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I want you to just picture the Lord doing this with you. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it full well. My frame was not hidden for you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Wow. What a, what a picture there. That phrase intricately woven is a picture that you've been embroidered with various colors, colors that are unique to you. And when he says that uh, he was doing it in the depths of the earth, that's a an, that's an Hebrew way of saying in darkness and in mystery. It's just between you and God, there was something that was being done intricately woven. Let's look at verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet none there, wa- yet there was none of them. So here's this child not fully formed, that God is, is embroidering this tapestry of their life. He's writing a book in, in the womb about you. Here's what this person is going to be like. Here's their bents. Here's their desires. Here's their, here's their proclivities. So what does all this mean? And so think of it this way. David was a poet. And so he's speaking in poetry. And he also he's speaking in 1000 BC. So he's using language that we wouldn't use. And so uh, he knew a lot of God's uh, wisdom. But he wasn't using terminology that we use today. So today I believe he would say something like this. That you know, in the womb there's this unformed child. God's writing a book. Today he would say that God put a certain genetic in DNA into you that's going to perfectly express himself through that DNA. There's written into the unformed child, God has, a, has written a certain program, embroidered a certain way of life. Okay, The child isn't born yet, the days haven't lived yet, but God says this is the kind of person they're going to be. Have you ever noticed when a person gets saved, they don't change that much? It's not like, oh, I'm horrible at math. No, I'm incredible at math. It's like I wasn't musical, and now I'm a musical whiz. No, there's things that were in there that are still in there. Okay. So God wrote this little book, and it's all inside this unborn child. Can you see why the fight over um, uh, unborn children is such a big one? Because it's wrapped up all in there in this beautiful tapestry. This is the way their life is going to be. Sometimes we call it the bent of a child, when it says train up a child in the way they should go. Notice the bents. Notice the way that God has put those things into them and train them according to those ways. Or as God said to Jeremiah and Paul, you are carved out and set apart for a particular job that you're going to be doing. It's so hard. Everything is bolded. (laughs) Every single word is bolded here. I'm like, hold on. What's the important part that I'm supposed to just catch and tell? I'm like, it's all important. It's all important today. The kind of person is not the exact thing that you will do every single second has been pre-programmed and you're just acting out some script. No, 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 no. God's put it into your DNA. This is the kind of person you're going to be. He wrote it in a book and it's all in there. In your case, say, in case some people say like, oh, well, God made Adam and then man made everybody else. It's just random genetics. No, no, I don't, like I said, I don't care what your circumstances are. God handcrafted you uniquely. Listen to Job 31.15. Let's all quote Job 31.15. I'm just kidding. Nobody knows anything from Job. 
Did not he who made me in the womb make him? And did not the one fashion us in the womb? Job wasn't giving credit to his father and mother for making him. He was giving credit for God who made him. And you can say the same thing. You were made and fashioned and handcrafted by God himself. This is good stuff. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. What's he talking about? And if you're going to know God's will, we've got to recognize it's in our bodies. We've got to present these bodies as he has made us to the Lord. Boy, this is good. This should be bolded. God made you the way that you would be in life, your likes and your dislikes, the tapestry of life. God wrote it into you into a book before you were ever born. Those genes and chemicals that make up your personality, God weighed them out in his balance and said, I don't know about you, it seems like sometimes his balance got a little off. It seems like some people get like too much talent. It's like, are you kidding me? You're good at everything? Why did he do it? What was behind all this? In order that your body with your unique genes and your unique chemistry and unique bents and your unique likes and dislikes will be the perfect instrument to display an aspect of God's glory that can't be seen through anybody else. See, God's glory is multifaceted. There's no one person that can show you exactly what God's like. But God said, I'll take a little piece of me and I'll express it through this person uniquely and the world will see what I'm like. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. We focus on that one a lot, but we don't focus on the next part. According to our likeness and let them rule. Okay? So we were created in the image of God. And when you're created in the image of God, that means that we could know him intimately. Okay? Um, your pets are not created in the same image of you, so they cannot understand you at a deep level. I know your goldfish is different. I know when you pour out your heart to your goldfish, you like, your goldfish does not understand the complexities of life, right? Because they're not created in the same image. Okay? We're created in the image of God so we can know his heart and he can know our heart. We can have intimacy. We can have a, a, a knowing by experience relationship with him because we're created in his image. Okay? That's part of it. And so, um, but, uh, you know, because I'm finite. Okay, let's get the next part here. But we're created in his likeness. When we're created in his likeness, that means we can reveal what he's like to the world. We can represent what God is like. We can be manifestors of God's glory to planet Earth. That's actually what the church is supposed to be. In our life together, coming together, people will go, oh, that's what the Trinity's like. The way the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit relate together in perfect communion and servanthood. And, I mean, look at the way the, community, uh, the Trinity relates to each other. Isn't this interesting? It's got, um, there's almost like a shyness to the Trinity. God's like, um, this is my son. Listen to him. I'm well pleased. He doesn't say, and you better listen to me. I'm his dad. I'm big stuff. No, no. The father points his son, listen to my son, with whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus says, hey, I only, I only do what I see my father doing. I only, I only do what he, what he says. And it's actually better that I go away so that you guys can have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's like, I'm only pointing to Jesus. Man, just imagine if we had a tenth of that in the church. So I'm finite, and the finite, can you are finite, you cannot infinitely... Uh, uh, manifest the infinite, okay? But God's fashioned you as a one of a kind. He said, listen, there's a little bit of chemistry here, there's genetics here, these desires here. There's a facet of my glory that can be manifest so they can know my likeness. You're unique. Uh, has anyone tra uh, traveled lately and, and done the clear thing at the airport? The clear thing, does anyone find this thing out? So, yeah, it's pretty cool. And so they, uh, they're checking your biometrics to verify your identity, right? So they check your eyeball, and uh, I don't know how they do this, but they check your eyeball and it comes up. If that doesn't work, they've got your unique thumbprints. And this is interesting. The reason they can do that is because there's, there's no one else like you. 
There will never be that set of fingerprints. There will never be that set of, uh, of, uh, of eyeballs, whatever they're measuring in there. I don't know what they're measuring. But there's never going to be another like you who can manifest a facet of the glory of God the way you can. But as you probably noticed, something went horribly wrong. Okay? This body, which was uniquely fashioned together, it came under the wrong control of someone else, the prince of the powers of this air. We were born as fallen people under the control of sin. That's what it means to be born with a sin nature. God had this incredible plan. Something came in and thwarted it. Now something needs to be undone. Okay? And so um, what's behind sin are the powers of darkness led by Satan. So you and I were born into sin. These bodies were fashioned for God's glory. But now instead of us manifesting this self, the selfless love of God, this love, this love that uh, serves other people, now it's this self-seeking, self-serving, self for self. Did I say self enough? Because that's what it's all about. It becomes all about me and what can I do. We even write songs about it. It's my prerogative. I can do what I want to do, right? I did it my way, right? So instead of being God-centered, what happens is we become self-centered, okay? Instead of revealing God's selfless love to others, we reveal what we really want, and we fight for our rights to party. Okay, I'm going to stop with the 80 songs. I'm stopping with the 80 songs. That wasn't bolded. Instead of being led by God's spirit, we're we're controlled by our self-spirit. Okay, you can read about it in Romans chapter 6. Paul, Paul speaks of sin. It's like this master. It's almost like king sin, like this, this tyrant over us. And he says the organs of your body, you can present the members of your body, the organs of your body. He said um, they can be presented as slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. Right? We can actually use our bodies as instruments of war for sin or for righteousness. Uh, Just like a conductor would conduct an orchestra, sin can conduct the faculties of our body. There's this influence behind it that we don't even are aware of, this music that we're we're moving to. And as a soldier uses weapons for war, so sin uses our body. Here's what 1 John 5, 19. I'm going to get to the good news here in a second. But this is really good picture theology, big picture theology, okay? Uh, 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. Man. That seems like a really drastic statement there. Behind all the darkness in our lives, there's an evil conductor, Satan, playing the human race like his orchestra. I don't mean everyone's demon-possessed, but people are expressing the devil's purpose in their lives rather than expressing God's life through themselves. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following... So he's talking about you before you were saved. In which you once walked... Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So before you came to Christ, you just thought you were doing your own thing. Like like it just seemed normal. It was like a a fish in water. Like, yeah, this is just normal. But the Bible reveals it was actually Satan pulling the strings. When you were just living for self apart from God, it was actually Satan behind you influencing you to just live for yourself. So whether the enemy is just outright destroying people's lives through addictions or harmful behaviors, or he just gets them to focus on living a good life apart from God, Satan's pulling the strings. 1 John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I want you to notice there's two he's in that passage. There's the he who is in you, and there's the he who is in the world, okay? He who is in you, that's, he's speaking to the church. That's Jesus Christ is in you, right? 
The he who is in the world is the whole mass of people outside of Christ. He, who is the he who is in them? Satan is the one. Not necessarily demon-possessed, but he's the one who is influencing their nature, conducting them like an orchestra. So when you, when you see bad news on the TV, I'm not sure that the Christian response should be to rise up and say, you're bad people. This is horrible. I, I believe we're standing up for righteousness, but if we're continually, why are we surprised that sinners are sinning? Like they're doing what the conductor's influencing them to do, and they're powerless to do anything else about it. The answer is revival. thinking about some of these parts here. All right. What? Oh, they're all bolted. Terrible. I thought someone said Raboni. I was like, Raboni? What's that? <laughs> Jesus spoke to the Pharisees in John 8 and said, you are of your father, the devil. What was happening? They were being conducted by somebody else. All this is to say that the unique you that God has made you to be, that no one else can be, that can express a facet of God's glory, you were born under the control of the wrong person because of Adam's sin. And so that body that was meant to express a facet of God's glory is now being conducted to express a facet of our father, Satan, former father. So your uniqueness, your particular bent in life that you have, your personality, your talents, that which arises within you as ambition... Before salvation, it was being controlled by a self-loving, self-willing, I'll-do-it-my-way self, which behind the scenes was being manipulated by Satan. Thank you, Jim, for that mighty encouragement. That is just so powerful to know that I was being manipulated by Satan. Thank you for that. But that's the person that you once were, okay, that self-willing, self-loving self. You know what Scripture calls that person? The old man. The old man. That old man can never be changed or uh, redeemed. It's completely unsavable. The old man has to be put to death. Okay, there's a lot of people who are still trying to uh, disciple the old man through discipline and through tactics and through external behavior modification uh, called religious threats. The old man cannot be changed or saved. He must or she must be put to death. So what did God do? He took our old man and placed us into Christ and so that he replaced the old man with a new man. Okay? So many Christians think they have two natures. Oh, he's still trying to die to the old man. Well, then you're not saved yet. The old man died once. Well, Paul said, I die daily. Well, the context of that was persecution. He's saying, I face death all day long. Have you noticed how many Christians are trying to die to self? How's that working? Where's that scripture that actually says you're supposed to die to self? They're looking forward to some event that's where they're going to die to self rather than looking backwards and saying, Christ already died for me as me. I put myself into him. Now instead of dying to self, I'm letting him express his life through me. Read it in the book. How are we doing? So Christians, they think they've got these two natures. They've got the old man and the new man, and it's like this really good, good dog, and there's this bad dog. And whichever one I feed more of, that's the one that's stronger and manifests itself. Anyone ever heard that sermon before? Nonsense. Complete nonsense. So many Christians are trying to kill the old man, trying to die to self, trying to do something in the future. Listen, your victory is in your past with Christ. Not in some future event when you're able to suddenly, through willpower, shed off all these things. 
I remember I was listening. It was actually a sermon that was done here. We let some other place host it. It wasn't a Zion sermon. Those places, they wanted to use our place. And so I, I came to some of the sessions. I remember this guy had 12 steps to a victorious life. I was like thinking, oh, dang, what happens if you forget step seven? Like, is the whole thing screwed? And so, um, and so step one was die to self. I'm like, wow. Like, okay. And I think step two was put off the old man. Step three, three was like, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So I was like, all these like, like man, like, like everyone just coming under condemnation and feeling hopeless. Listen, guys, you can't live the Christian life. There's only one person who can live the Christian life, and it's Christ. And he wants to express himself through you easily and naturally as you live in rest with him. The old man is dead, died, dead, buried. Rotting corpse, take the rotting corpse, burn it. Take the ashes, burn the ashes, dead. The old man is dead. So Paul says, don't you know that you died to sin? You should read Romans 6. It's incredible. Maybe we should, maybe we should do that later. This in Romans 6. Don't you know that you died to sin? Because he's like, you sure aren't living like it. So first of all, you've got to know something's happened. Now he's like, consider. There's three words in Romans 6. Know, consider, and present. That's, that's, those are the keys to living in the new covenant. That might be good, make a good three-part series. Yeah. Yeah. Well, someone put this in bold real quickly for me here. The old man is dead, died, dead. I think it's 16 or 18 times in Romans 6 it says that the old man is dead. So I'm not sure how people keep raising him or her up, but they sure do. And um, I'm going to give you a revelation. This iPad is in this case. And uh, if this case is Christ and this iPad is the old you, God placed the old you into Christ. And when Christ went down into the grave, the old you went into the grave and died. And you know what came out of it? A new you that is in Christ. And so when it says Christ raised from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father, when the case went up there, the iPad went up there. He puts you into Christ. Whatever happens to Christ happened to you. Christ did not just die for you. He died as you. God placed you into Christ, and whatever happens to Christ is now true of you. You don't have to work at it. You simply have to say thank you and receive it as a gift, and the Bible calls that new covenant faith. God placed you in Christ, and when Christ died, you died. That old you was severed from your relationship with the sin nature once for all, instantaneously and irreversibly. You have a new conductor now. Jesus was buried, that old you was buried forever, and when Christ rose again, you rose now joined to a new person, you are now joined to Christ, you have a new conductor, a new leader, a new power source. Remember the Old Testament story of when David fought Goliath? Remember what happened there? And so, um, so uh, they, they said, hey, we got these rules for war, let's each one have a champion come forth and fight. And so when Goliath came forth, he represented all of Philistia, he was a Philistine, and whatever happened to Goliath happened to all the people, even though there was only one man fighting. When David stepped forth, he was not just representing himself or his family or his brothers. All of Israel was in, in David, even those who were not yet born. Because whatever happened to David happened to all of Israel. He was their covenant representative. And so they went out to fight. Um, you, know, you know, David, uh, it's interesting. He, yeah. David, he, uh, he fights Goliath and, you know, hacks off his head with the giant's sword. He holds up the giant's head. Before he gets him with the slingshot, remember? Uh, hacks off the giant's head, holds up his head. And all of Israel shouts, we won, even though they didn't lift a finger. Jesus is called the son of David. He went out and fought our Goliath for us. 
He trashed Satan in the desert, defeated him completely at the cross. Colossians 2 says he's disarmed him and made a public spectacle of him in front of the entire invisible world. The picture in Ephesians 4 is pretty graphic. It talks about um, King James says being having captivity led captive. I think the NIV says captivity is led in the train. There's pictures in ancient war when a, um, when a king would defeat his army, he would completely humiliate them. If you remember, there was a picture of this in the Old Testament. They would uh, cut, a, uh, cut a spot in their pants so it showed their bare bottom, trim their beard, put a hook in their jaw, and parade them chained in front of the streets. That's the picture of what Jesus did basically to the demonic realm. He disarmed them, led them in his train, and humiliated and disarmed them in front of the entire invisible world. That wasn't even bolded. That was just in there. (laughs) And when Jesus put away the old man, he broke off the power of sin, utterly defeated Satan. Your sin was pardoned, and you are now declared righteous. That's why Paul says, it's not me who's living anymore. It's Christ living in me. It's Christ expressing his life through me. 1 Corinthians 6 says, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That body that was formed by God in, that, in, that, in those hidden realms, in that mystery, in that revelation realm, has now become the temple, the dwelling place, the expression point of the Holy Spirit between heaven and earth. Now that you're separated from the old man, you're no longer one with darkness in the world, you're joined to Jesus, and as you look around the world, you can feel it squeezing on you, trying to squeeze you into its mold. Listen to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 from the Phillips, um, it's a, more of a paraphrase. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable to him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Every time you turn on the television, every time you open up a magazine, every time you flip open social media, what's happening is the world is telling you this is how you need to live. Well, you see it infect the political realm. Christians in politics, they begin acting just like the world, just as nasty, just the same smear campaigns, just the same drama, the same arguing. You see it in how how we approach social issues. It's really difficult to tell the Christians from the non-Christians by their character, maybe by their message. But it's that same, I want to shut you up, I want to humiliate you, I want to... That ain't God. You can hear the world saying, conform to us. Be like us, think like us, or we're going to cancel you. And Paul says, don't be conformed to the world. You're aware now that you're not of this world. It's squeezing you. Instead, be transformed by renewing your mind. The word transform, you guys may know this, is the word metamorphosis. It's the same word used from the way a worm becomes a butterfly. I want you to know, everything inside the worm was made to be a butterfly. It just took the right conditions. You see, wrapped up inside that worm, there was always a butterfly. And Paul says, listen, you can't be conformed. To the world. I know you may look like a worm, you may feel like a worm, but there's a butterfly inside of you. There's more to you than meets the eye. Christ is in you, and because Christ is in you, you can't go along with what the world is doing. There's a different path, there's a different power for you to live on. You can't go along with a system of self-loving, self-willing self. No, you've changed. You've changed on the inside. Someone's now living through your body. And one day, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, we shall also appear with him in glory. And you'll see you're a butterfly. The Bible calls this the manifestations of the sons of God. Here's the point I want you to get. Christ now lives in that original you that God formed. Even though some things got messed up with sin, he's coming and living on that same purpose that God has for you, except now we actually are gaining the power to express God's life through that same original you. 
It's the same you, the same bent, the same likes, the same chemistry, but now there's another person guiding and influencing me. I used to be told that, you know, if God was going to, uh, if I found God's will, it would completely change me. That, you know, if, oh, if you want God's will, just do the exact opposite thing you want to do. Because you're, if, you, if you hate it, it must be God's will. What kind of nonsense is that foolishness? If you, I mean, the idea was, you know, you know I mean, did anyone else not, not hear these things? Like, if you, if you give yourself over to God, you're going to find yourself in a malaria-filled swamp, hating your life as a missionary somewhere. Right? You know who the people who are in malaria-filled swamps is missionary somewhere? People that God put that on the inside of them, and they love it. What a revelation is God who put chemistry inside of me and wrote in my little book before I was ever born. So you know what? There's things that you like, and there's things that you don't like, and it's okay. God wrote that inside of you before you were born. And Jesus isn't going to change who God made you to be in that secret place. He comes to live his life inside of that unique you. Is this a relief to anyone? You don't have to put on a whole different kind of personality, adopt a whole new set of anything. Like, God may change some of your bad desires, okay? But, like, that person that is you, he loves that. Some of you are like, I really like me. You know what? Jesus does too. He's not looking to change that part. You can keep on being you, except Christ is going to express himself through you, and it's going to be even better. Look at the Apostle Paul. God put a certain chemistry inside of him before he was born. He has this incredible mind, and when he sees something, he can absolutely get it, and he's like a bulldozer until he, until he accomplishes something. So he gets it before even uh, the, the, um, the other apostles did, before uh, Peter, before James, before anything. God, he gets it. When he's, when he's not saved, he sees, uh, if this Christianity thing goes, it's the end of Jewish religion. Like, he saw it before anyone else saw it. And so he's like, listen, I'm going to go, and I'm going to wipe this filth off the face of the earth. So remember, he's dragging people. He's persecuting them. So you got the other Sadducees, Sadducees, Pharisees, scribes. They got their stupid, petty little arguments going on in Jerusalem. Paul's like, don't you guys see? This is the end of Judaism. we got to get rid of these guys. So he's zealous for it, right? Then he gets saved, and he still gets it. And he says, yes. It is uh, the end of the Jewish religion, except it's not that we're children of Abraham by descent. We're children of Abraham by faith. Everybody needs to see this. This means the inclusion of the Gentiles. And with that same bulldozer mentality, he goes and spreads Christianity throughout the known world. God didn't change his personality, but he shined through that personality. I'm going to take a little drink to that one. When you think of Christ living in you, imagine a tea bag in hot water, right? The hot water is just neutral. Like, it's not good. It's not bad. It's not tasty. It's not untasty. It's, it's, it's neutral water. And when you put that tea bag in there, the water begins to express the life of the tea bag. It's still water. It's just expressing a different kind of life. Do you know that water can also express poison? If you were to put poison in there, it could express that, single, that same kind of life. The water doesn't change. It's who's living inside the water that makes it a different expression. So Christ comes to live within us with a facet of his glory that uniquely fits my personality, my natural bent in life. He's expressing himself through my uniqueness. Now Christ begins to look through your eyes. Here's Christ in you looking to express himself, and he begins to look through your eyes and look through your desires. You know what happens is your desires begin to become his desires. Because he's expressing his life through you. Are you guys seeing how the will of God comes? 
And these desires, they just fit you perfectly. They're just kind of the thing that you would normally do. People are like, yeah, of course. That makes total sense that you would do something like that. Because Christ, who made you this way, is now expressing it through you. So he looks through your mind, and as he's looking through your mind, you begin to have thoughts that you may not have had before, but you're like, I'm really kind of bothered by this situation, or I see a real need in this situation, or I kind of want to become this thing in life. He looks through your eyes, and you begin to see things in terms of need and opportunity and desire. Have you ever seen those horses where they put those blinders on them so they can only see one different way? What happens is God begins to blind you to all these other things, and now you just begin to see, hey, I really am going after this one thing. Some people call it a burden. Other people call it a vision. Whatever you want to call it, here's what it is. is Jesus is looking with his eyes through your eyes. You're beginning to see things as he sees them, and it seems like no one else is seeing it like you're seeing it. Why isn't everybody else seeing it like I'm seeing it? What's wrong with these people? They've got a different set of blinders on. Someone called it the toothache of the heart. It nags you, it bugs, away, bugs you, it goes away for a little bit, but then it comes back. It's always with you. It's Christ seeing through your eyes. And it feels like there's a must about it. It's not just this passive thing you can just shrug off. It's like, I've got to do this. It's compelling. But it's a happy compelling. You like it. It kind of scares you. But there's that drive on the inside. I've got to pursue this. I've got to follow this thing. What's happening? Jesus is looking at life through your eyes. And, of course, Jesus doesn't see through you what he sees through other people. That used to bug me. It's like, why can't everybody see what I'm seeing? What is wrong with these people? Right? Why, why don't they see the need that I see? Simple. Jesus isn't looking through their eyes in the same way that he's looking through my eyes. Growing up, we used to have missionaries come to our church, and they would put the congregation under guilt. I mean, I, I just hated Missions Week when it came to our church. Because the message was, if you really love Jesus, you'd be out here doing what I'm doing. And we hear these stories of just how horrible and how hard it was and how our air-conditioned suburban lives were so easy. And, man, I was like, man, if I really loved God, but I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to have to be outside for long periods of time. I don't want to have to. <laughs> and so what was, what's going on? And so we just stood there cringing. You know, you should give every, you know, it was like you should give every penny to spreading the gospel in Africa. Because what happened? Their blinders only saw Africa. And guess what? There was other people that stepped up and were like, yeah, this guy is right. What is happening? Jesus was seeing through their eyes the same way he was seeing through their eyes. And they began to get attracted to each other. And the rest of us were made to feel horrible because we weren't seeing that same thing. Sometimes when one person gets a vision, they think everybody has to join in that, and there's something uniquely wrong with them if they don't. This is a dramatic pause. <laughs> God gave you a vision, and you should do it. And everybody else that Jesus is looking through all their eyes to see the same thing, they will find you. They will start coming towards you. So don't, don't start putting everybody under condemnation just because they can't see what you see. Danny Silk uses this great illustration of the, of the fivefold ministry. So I don't believe everybody's supposed to be fivefold, but I think this is a funny illustration. So he talks about, what the, so the fivefold ministry is apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And he talks about um, what it looks like when the fivefold comes upon a car accident scene. You guys heard this story? And <clears throat> so, um, so they said, you know, uh, there's, there's a car accident scene, there's bodies everywhere, there's cars colliding. And the teacher comes up and um, begins teaching about the biblical reason for why bad things happen and about how God can be good in the midst of tragedy. So he's been teaching, he pulls out the verses, and people are, people are encouraged. People, their minds are being renewed. Um, the pastor's getting the names of people to follow up, maybe get a meal plan going for the families, maybe some phone calls for prayer later. The apostle, uh, he teaches the bystanders how to heal the sick and begins praying for miracles, and out of, he starts a school of ministry out of the crowd from the people who respond. 
The prophet said, I knew this was going to happen. God showed me in a dream last night. (laughs) And the evangelist says in a loud voice, those of you who are in the crowd, you did not die today. But if you were to die tonight, do you know where you would spend eternity? What happens? Jesus is looking through five different sets of eyes. You know what? Sometimes it's really easy for the evangelist to go, what's wrong with you pastors? You're focusing on the church. There's a whole world out there in need. And then, which one's important? They're all important. And Jesus is trying to equip us in all these areas. But we need people who see like that to leak on the ones who don't see like that so we can grow up to the full measure of Christ. David killing Goliath with a slingshot, it was the most natural thing. He was an expert with a slingshot. He'd been practicing that in secret for years. David trying to fight Saul with sword and spear and javelin would have been the most unnatural thing. When he tried to put on Saul's armor, that didn't make any sense. When you're fighting your giants, it's going to be the most natural thing. God's already built a history into you, put desires into you, giving you supernatural ability. You might be a little bit nervous when you're starting off. For you to try and be the person you are not, it's going to produce fear, dread, horror, and terror. But to be the person that God's dropped in your heart is going to be easy. Why? Because faith is always easy. You don't have to work at faith. I'm not saying you're not going to have to overcome some difficult circumstances. But trusting God in this is like, yeah, I was born for this. It just is. I remember I went to Africa on a, on a missions trip. I was always amazed at the people who were loving that trip. Like, there's people who are just born for, like, missions trips, you know? And so um, uh, there's people who are like, trying to go several times a year. They love sleeping in tents. They love going in the, in the bathroom over a hole in the ground. They um, liked being outside. And um, I'm not a wilderness person. God did not put it inside of me to be a wilderness person, okay? And so I remember uh, they called me into going uh, the second year. And so the first year I went, and they like, oh, it was, they, they convinced me to do an evangelistic crusade. So I was going to be the evangelist speaker. I sweated for weeks over this evangelistic message. I mean, I'm working on the plane every spare moment. I was trying to come up with this five-minute evangelistic message. It was horrible. Like, I gave it. There was, there was no Holy Spirit on it. I swear some people converted to Islam. I don't even know what happened to this thing. It was terrible. <laughs> so that was year one. So year two, I'm like, I'm not doing it, and I don't want to go to the bathroom over a hole in the ground anymore. I'm so done with that. And um, I remember, yeah, there was like, you know, it's like, you know, the smell of a thousand generations. It was just like, it had been there for years. It was just horrible. And so we brought this potty tent. Well, the potty tent became the most valuable thing to me on that trip. And so picture like a little three-legged stool with like a bag underneath and like a little tent thing. And so um, someone had prophesied before that that I was going to have authority over weather. I'm like, what is that even supposed to mean? And so there's this raging storm comes through and it wipes out our camp. So, like, like, takes the tents, Jordan, you remember this? Like, floods them, like, washes the tents away. So we're in, like, water. And yeah, people were like, Jim, you need to use your authority. I'm like, go back to bed, you know. <laughs> Leave me alone. And so then we, so we're, you know, and now it's like 3 in the morning. We've got the fire going. We're, we're trying to dry out our sleeping bags. I mean, it was just horrible. It was just wretched. And so then, um, so we're kind of settled back in, maybe like 4 a.m. now, 5 a.m. now, I don't know. And all of a sudden, another storm starts coming. He's like, Jim, get up. And uh, my, my parents trying to pretend like I can't hear him. And, um, and, uh, and the, the storm's getting closer. And then they said, um, Jim, the potty tent's starting to blow away. Zip. <laughs> no lie. I'm like, that's it. And I came out. 
And uh, I got with another friend. I'm like, if we're going to do it, let's do it right. Wonder Twin Powers, activate. Like, in the name of Jesus, storm, not kidding, the storm stopped, took a 90-degree angle. Everyone's like, why didn't you do that the first time? I'm like, ah. You should have told me about the potty tent. That was my desires. That was my bent. You got to get to those desires. Remember learning how to walk. Your legs, every cell, every part of your legs was meant to walk. And you know what? You weren't very good at it at first. You walked and fell on your face. You know what? But after a while, that which you were created to do, you probably don't even think about it a whole lot anymore, unless you're over 50. And then, um, I'm just a bad joke, bad joke. Because I'm going to be in the Senior Olympics when I'm 60 for table tennis. So, yes. I've recently been beat by a 9-year-old, a 13-year-old, a 68-year-old woman who was not in shape, but she was in the Olympics. She was very good. And I lost to an 80-something-year-old guy. Anyway, I can't wait, though. It's going to be good. So what are the things that Christ will see through us? I just wanted you guys to get the point. Just because God's gifted you for it and you have the faith for it doesn't mean you're going to be amazing at it at first. Don't judge by the results. I remember the first time I ever preached, I was at Michigan State. Um, I was having a total panic attack up there. I was, I, was, I, was, I was speaking up there. Literally, no one's paying attention. They're, like, turning their backs on me. It was horrible. And um, there was this, uh, but it looked like one girl in the front row was being touched, Catherine. It looked like the Lord was really touching her. I was like, it's worth it for the one, you know. And so I'm talking, but while I'm talking, my mouth is going... Have you ever had, like, your mouth so dry, like, makes that noise? So I'm talking. I'm like, what is that? Oh, my gosh. I think that's. And so I'm like, well, there was a little, a little like, Dixie cup of punch. And so I took, so I took the punch, and I, I tried to drink it. And it was like my tongue was coated in Teflon. It was like the moisture didn't take to my mouth. And now I'm thinking, I'm like, this was horrible. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm trying to wrap it up. Everyone's, you know, falling asleep. And uh, Catherine comes up to me afterwards, and I was like, Oh, this is going to be good. You know, it was, it was worth it for the one. She says, listen, Jim, um, I didn't really hear what you said. I was just praying the whole time that the Lord would restore moisture to your mouth. <laughs> I'm like, seriously? That, that's your takeaway? <laughs> so you may not be good at it. Oh, I got another evangelism one for you. Do you guys, anyone remember hot dogs and healing when we tried that fiasco a couple years ago? I mean, I'm sitting, yeah, this is something like a great, I'm sitting in worship, and I turn next to Josh Lawrence, who pastors out in Pickerington now. I'm like, I think we're supposed to do a, Healing, a healing service for the homeless. And he's like, the Lord just told me the same thing. I'm like, oh, this is going to be incredible. And I'm like, what if you serve hot dogs? And he's like, oh, yeah, this would be great. So we're, like, we're looking at where we can rent tents and all this stuff. And we're like, we're like hold on, it's like November. We're going to freeze outside. Like, maybe we should start something smaller before we, you know, do this giant tent crusade for the homeless. And so we got some little storefront church that let us in there. And so, um, oh, man, it was terrible. So day one, we brought in Steve Backlund. Not a gifted evangelist. And so he's like, hey, let's just laugh at that lie. I'm like, there's nothing to laugh at. They're homeless. They're like, it's all horrible. You know, and then, um, and then uh, the second day was me. People literally had their backs turned to me talking, having fun, like totally not listening to me at all. And I swear, I prayed for this lady and her tumor grew. I was like, oh, man, this is horrible. This is bad. Then we brought in an evangelist, and he like led them all to the Lord on the third day. It was just like, oh, my gosh, I don't ever want to do this again. So, so what are some of the things that Christ will be seeing through this, through us? Okay, so, uh, let's go back to Romans 12, verse 6. These are just kinds of things. This is not an exhaustive list. Having gifts that differ according to the grace that's given to us. That's pretty good. Let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. Everyone can prophesy, but there's some people, that's kind of their thing. 
There's a grace for it, and God's like, use it. As your faith grows, your prophecy grows. If service in our serving. So you don't get to go, hey, I'm not called to service. See, like, like there's this list. No, no, we're all called to serve, but some people, like, they come alive with that. They're just, like, really good at it. They're awesome at it. Um, the one who teaches in his teaching, uh, the one who exhorts others in his exhortation. Boy, I love the gift of exhortation. I was raised by a mom who had the gift of exhortation. You can't have a bad day around these people. They're just constantly, like, building you up. They're seeing the good. And uh, in generosity, there's, uh, now we're all called to give, but there's some people who have a unique ministry of giving. Uh, the one who leads with zeal. Other people, they're just born leaders. They get in a room, and people are going to kind of start following them. They've got ideas, and there's all this stuff. The one who does acts of mercy, do it with cheerfulness. Uh, some translated that, uh, those who care for others in need. Okay? Now, there's very few of these things that would be, we would call full-time ministry, right? But you can see, like, there are different motivations. And again, they're not, it's not an exhaustive list. But some people, they're just natural exhorters. They're natural teachers. They're natural leaders. There's businessmen who are just uh, natural givers. It's like, man, I'm making money for the kingdom. Um, other people are going to be drawn into plumbing, accounting, government work, child care, coaches. And what's going to happen is you're drawn to that situation. There's going to be a facet of God that's expressed uniquely through you. You get to be you. You get to be the original book that God wrote without all the mess of sin in it. Now it's Christ expressing it as God's original intent. In his image, reflecting his likeness. Let's look at Romans 12, 2 again as we close out. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This will of God that you discover is going to be good and it's acceptable and it's perfect. That is, it's going to completely fit each individual. You're going to feel right and you're going to celebrate God in it. You're going to be like, yes, God, this is what I was born for. Now, legalism is the exact opposite of God's grace. It, has, it pictures God as giving us something to do that we don't want to do. Yeah, I mean, you hear Christians say, don't say never because God will make you do it. That ain't in scripture. Don't say I'll never go there because God will definitely make you go there. No, he won't. That's not how it literally works. Um, it's this picture of this guy who's like a little boy sitting in the window pulling flies off, pulling wings off a of fly. He's just being cruel. Oh, you don't want to go there? <laughs> I'm going to make you go there. It's a God of grace who works in us to will and to act according to his good pleasure. So you can be Christ in you, the farmer. Christ in you, the accountant. Christ in you, the artist. Christ in you, the housewife. Christ in you, working at the grocery store. No longer restless, no longer looking at someone saying, if only I had their ministry. If only I was more like them. No, you can actually celebrate who God's made you to be. The mechanic in the garage covered in grease and fixing cars, you're just as much in the center of God's will when Christ is expressing himself through you as the Apostle Paul was raising the dead and planting churches. The will of God, first of all, is Christ being himself in you, and that results in you seeing like Christ and doing like Christ. You're an amazing person. There's nobody else like you. You've been made unique, and this world is waiting and watching for you to become the butterfly that's inside. Let's stand for closing prayer.